Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. Big chefs, big ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. We see kids with nutritionally related problems, many of them overweight even though they're undernourished. It affects our ability to learn. She had to make sure she had lunch in the classroom because at the end of the day, that was going to be all she got. Food security affects our strength as a nation. Within arm's reach are people who are hungry, and there is a anxiety and a stigma attached to that. I'm Billy Shore. I'm here with two amazing Bostonians. We're outside of Washington for a change, and this is one of the best things probably that's ever happened to these conversations. Uh, the iconic Gordon Hammersley, 27 years at Hammersley's Bistro, a uh, restaurant I frequented many times, and somebody who's very involved in making a difference um, for the lives of children, young people, adolescents, adults across the board. And Gerald Tretavian, the CEO of Europe, which is a nationwide nonprofit that creates opportunity for youth to get engaged in employment all around this country. Uh, let's get a little bit of background on each of you. Gordon, how did you, you know, everybody knows who you are today. How did you get to be there? Where did you start? Started as a dishwasher many, many years ago and kind of worked up through the ranks um, through the 1970s, 80s, 90s. Um, our goal, Fiona's and my goal, always was to open a restaurant um, and a simple, straightforward bistro. Um, came back from living in France and opened here in 1987. And as you know very well, Billy, uh, you called me up and at some point when the first uh, Taste of the Nation happened in Boston, and I signed up right away. And now, uh, I know wh- I know why I called you, but I don't know why you said yes. Well, I said— Because you get asked to do a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, but I said yes because, you know, the message of Share Our Strength uh, resonates, I think, with almost every chef. It's almost impossible not to— uh, make that connection. And, um, you know, the way I always think about share our strength is that, um, I mean, I literally just listen to the words, share our strength. And I go, okay, everybody can be involved, right? And uh, so from my point of view, I was a struggling uh, young restaurateur and chef, but I did know that um, uh, I could make a meal for a couple hundred people and little tastes, and I could go off and, and do this and help and um, and somehow be involved in helping to eradicate childhood hunger in America. That's that's literally how I did it. And, you know, we, we've known each other a long time since then. And Gerald Tretavian, in a similar yet different kind of way, you've constructed a model in which almost everybody can play a role. Uh, in terms of creating an opportunity for young people. Tell us a little bit about Europe and your journey to it. So my journey started very much down on the Lower East Side of Manhattan uh, in the late 80s uh, when I met my little brother uh, through the Big Brothers program, which I love to this day. And uh, he happened to live in the most heavily photographed crime scene in New York City, which at the height of the crack AIDS epidemic was a pretty tough place to live. And after three years of Saturdays, of spending literally every Saturday of my life with this young boy, David, uh, what I realized is he had all the hustle, motivation, ambition of any child, yet what he lacked was the opportunity and the access to actually realize his God-given potential. And so it was immediately clear that his skin color, the bank balance of his mother, the school system he attended uh, were limiting his potential. Um, and it struck me back in the 80s that that was wrong, uh, whether it was socially, financially, morally, economically, that we were all losing. 
if we weren't realizing the potential of every human and uh, vowed at that point to try to close that opportunity divide and uh, at some point spend all of my time just focusing on growing an organization that could allow a lot of young people to go from poverty to a professional career in just one year. And how did you become a big brother in the first place? That's a, that's a big commitment. Yeah, I started doing it at uh, 18. I've been a big brother for about 33 years. And, uh, you know, I was the youngest of two. I had no one to take care of. Hmm. So, you know, I'd go home and maybe pretend the cat was a little brother or sister. But but no, I always, uh, ever since I was 13, all of my jobs were working with young people. Uh, when I was 16, I used to drive. Uh, first, I got my license. I used to drive high-risk young people around the city of Lowell in this big double van. And these were wonderful, wonderful young boys who happened to have had some challenges in life, and I was trying to keep them safe for the summer. And you know what? It was some of the best times I ever had. So ever since I was a kid, I love working with young people. It's been a passion forever, and I'm sure it'll remain a passion for the rest of my life. And Gordon, at 18, what were you doing? Were you in the restaurant business yet? Were you washing dishes even yet? No, 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 no. Really? Nowhere near. Nowhere near. At 18, was I in college? I think I was in college doing something. Um, not much, actually. No, I needed to get out of school and, and get as far away from academics and thinking as I could. And that was my goal. When I got out of college, I just I wanted to work with my hands. Um, no, I was... I used to be a roadie for rock and roll bands. And, um, and when that didn't work out, I, that's when I stumbled into the French restaurant. You know, I, it's interesting what you say, Gerald, because the, um, the, the impression that I have about kids in general, especially kids from, that don't have the opportunities that you and I had, is that you know, the leadership potential on the street is so gigantic. I mean, you, you meet kids who are natural leaders who are going down the wrong path, but they are big-time leaders. And if you can somehow just kind of change the way the ship is going and get those guys leading in a positive way, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. I, would, um, I, I, would, I know for me and I, most people I meet, there was some moment at which, some kind, almost like a defining moment where somebody gave them a break that they had no reason to expect that they would get that they wanted to get but you know um how about for you was there a was there a break was there a mentor was there an influence was there somebody that you know when you look back you say that well that's that's when i turned the corner yeah tons of people in my life i mean you know in every kind of stage of being a cook uh, you have mentors. At, at first, it was like two Mexican guys who were working on the line at a hotel that I was working in uh, in Los Angeles. And I looked at the way they cooked. These guys had grown up together in Mexico. Uh, they were working on the line together as breakfast cooks. Two of the most unbelievably well-coordinated guys. And they were also the shortstop and the second baseman on the baseball <laughs> team that we were all on. And and so it, that connection, I mean, their ability to communicate and work together. And I just, I watched what they did and I went, you guys have to t teach me how to do that. What, and could they? No. I mean, I was hopeless, hopeless. But they took me under their wing and by the time I left that hotel, I was better than when I started. And then, you know, the next stage up and the next stage up were all, you know, I, I ran into people who uh, who took me under their wing, you know. And I think if you're serious and you take your job seriously, people will come out of the woodwork to help you. You know, if you're lazy and you don't show up on time and, you know, you do all the stupid things that young people do, 
you know, then does not so much sometimes. Girl, so, who was it for you? Um, I'll tell you, but I'm so glad you you kind of held up the craft of the beautiful shoto to cook. Yeah, totally. Which there's like nothing more. I used nothing to go around to diners right. and just walk into the diner, sit at the counter, and watch the beauty of someone who knows how to put a meal together totally. well and quickly. And it's it is an art form. Yeah. Right? So so really quickly, there was this diner that we used to go to in L.A., and it was run by one woman. She did the serving, she did the cooking, she did everything. And I remember when she hired somebody to help her, the whole system went to hell. <laughs> she just couldn't do it. It only but worked man, when it was when just she her. Was by, she, when she finally got rid of that person, you went back to the normal, well, well-run well place that it used to be. Go. No, it's, um, so the concept of kind of being self-made is not one I've ever ascribed to. It's, you know, anyone who's successful is probably the result of a thousand acts of kindness, love, support, mentoring, and there are probably some people who rose as the peaks of that in uh, in, in our lives, um, whether they could have been through parents, family, or or others. I remember, um, you know, you always remember who believed in you, right? Especially when, you know, a young person, you're developing your self-confidence, you're, you're trying to get secure. I mean, most of us kind of struggle through our insecurities for much of our lives. It's probably the only benefit of getting older is you get a little bit more secure. Um, but I remember, you know, way back when, goodness, on Wall Street in the 80s, and someone giving you work to do that was three or four pay grades above where you should be and meetings you should never even sit in and just saying, trust me, I believe in you, yes. right? And I'll, I believe in your potential and your capacity. And I think to give someone the journey that they can go on to develop that confidence, whether it be a, a young person or a chef who's learning how to be a short order cook and then be a great chef and uh, have famous restaurants. I mean, we are all a collection of that, right? And I think uh, owing that to others to see their potential, their beauty, their brilliance, um, that's what we give, right? That's what we can give to others. And I think there's a certain amount of luck involved, too. I mean, you got to be, I mean, the right place at the right time is really important. I remember getting my job at, when I worked at Ma Maison back before Wolfgang was, Wolfgang Puck was Wolfgang Puck, and I was working at Ma Maison, um, I banged on his door numerous times to try and get a job, and there was no job available when he went on vacation, I happened to stumble back into the restaurant and the sous chef said, you need a job? And I said, yeah. And he said, you're hired. And I went, okay, great. Wolfgang got back and said, who are you? And I said, I'm the one who kept asking you for a job, but Michelle gave it to me anyway. <laughs> because okay, good. I guess I'm, I'm glad you're here now. It, it, that definitely proves my dad's uh, late father's old saying. You say chance favors the prepared mind. Right. right. You, you got to be prepared exactly. uh, when something happens. It's good. And it's it's an interesting fact the, uh, that folks who are successful will often describe their success more to their own talent rather than their luck. Uh, if you really start to peel apart what got you to where you are, uh, you know, you need talent of some description and you need perseverance. Right. You got to take your talent. You have to apply it. But you also have to be lucky. Really lucky. I mean, yeah. I, the first business we started in 93 prior to when I got in the nonprofit sector it's a software business. And let me tell you, 1993 to 1998, that rising tide carried all the boats up. All the software boats were rising, even the leaky ones. And, you know, we were lucky enough to uh, sell that business, not because we were brilliant, because we were lucky prior to the crash of the dot-com, right? And so to walk away from that and not say, wow, we were lucky would be a whole, wholly egregious overestimation of, of what just happened. Right, and I think probably a lot of our, a lot of folks 
you know, you catch a good break and, you know, it's being aware of it that's probably part of it. Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and it's traditionally a time of gratitude and reflection, and one in which many of us ask ourselves how we can be helping others in our community. At Chair Strength, we've come up with a very simple but fun way for you to get involved. It's called Friendsgiving. To find out all the steps for success in hosting a Friendsgiving party, go to nokidhungry.org. And just imagine being at Thanksgiving dinner while kids in our country are thanking you. You're both involved now in really creating opportunity for people. You're, Gordon, doing it through um, Future Chefs, through the Food Project. Talk about some of the ways in which you're, um, you know, I think of it as mentoring. It's probably guiding, coaching, helping navigate, a lot of different things that fall under that term. Yeah. Um, they're, both organizations are, I think they're really good, very effective uh, organizations. The one I know better is Future Chefs. And as a, as a restaurant chef, I was involved with them. We would take an apprentice or two. Um, I would um, give tours to, you know, um, a class of future chef kids, and they would come to the restaurant, spend an afternoon, so on and so forth. Now, you know, I'm more of an advisor to them. And, um, you know, a lot of the mentoring I did before were, you know, with the kids who would come through the restaurant and, and work for a couple of years and then move on. Now with the future chef kids you know these are these are individuals who ha- have graduated or are about to graduate from the vocational culinary programs throughout the city <clears throat> and um and so they go to future chefs and they get to kind of hone those culinary skills but also learn a lot of soft skills about you know how to write a resume how to how to go to an interview um how to show up on time do all those kinds of things and um I just think that the um, uh, look. If somebody had been around when I was coming up, who could you know whack me on the side of the head and go, "Listen, just do it this way. It's going to make your life a whole lot easier," you know. And I'm sure you guys agree. Yeah. And so that's kind of what Future Chefs does, but they do it in a, a little less you know dramatic way than that. And, um, and I think they're very effective in what they're doing. And basically what, what Future Chefs does is help kid, uh, a group of kids transition from the high school experience. There's an interim period where they're with Future Chefs, and then they move on to the real world. And uh, through an apprenticeship program that we put together last year, um, now we've got these kids in, in great restaurants around the city. Um, most of them are being hired uh, once their apprenticeship is done, and it's it's an, it's a system that's working really well. And in your world, Gerald, Europe is doing this in ways that are really designed to kind of almost scale these opportunities. I want to hear a little bit about you know I don't know what you call it the operating system, the engine of Europe. How does it actually work? So we um, we work with uh, motivated eighteen to twenty four year olds uh, who do have a GED or a high school and you diploma. Find them, how do they find you, or you find them? Uh, largely um, word of mouth. Once we get established in a city, before okay. we're established. We're just opening up in Dallas and L.A. right now. We'll go to the Boys and Girls Club, YMCA, maybe a foster care agency. Um, There are district attorneys who will say to a student, uh, choose your options. One of them is year up. Tell me which one you'd like. Um, So we get out into a community, and and, uh, soon soon thereafter, though, it's all word of mouth. And the operating system is these young adults are very smart and talented. They haven't been given opportunity. So we give them a really rigorous six months of training and development. 
in both uh, professional skills, as Gordon just talked about, right? How to show up and mm-hmm. be the part. And then the, teach them something marketable, whether it's technology, finance, cybersecurity, um, sales, which is actually a great area to know how to operate in. And then after six months of training, they go into six months of internships with one of 250 companies across the country. You know, Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, Twitter, EA Arts, Citibank, Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, NASA, I mean, the White House. They're all, all over your the country. partners. Uh, every one of them. Okay. Yeah, we work with, you name a big company, we probably work with them. I mean, and they've agreed to take a certain number of young yeah, people? Is anywhere that- from a handful to 100. And so, I mean, uh, one organization, State Street Corporation, has hired 500 of our graduates, 500 young people from the most isolated pockets of poverty in greater Boston, and given them livable wage work in either financial or technical jobs, which is a huge tribute to their leadership to see people for talent, not see them as, well, you actually come from a place where I would highly unlikely to recruit you and bring you into my company. So we, um, we're just blessed. We've served now 15,000 Young people in 18 cities and 88% of our grads, on average, are earning about $36,000 a year. So you're able to track how they continue to do after they leave the program. Yeah, we're data junkies. I mean, yeah. we're total, we, we absolutely are focused. You know, I got an email just last week from a young man who graduated in class three. This was a while ago. And he said, uh, well, he now owns four homes, right? He showed me the photographs of his four homes, triple deckers in Revere and Malden, a couple places. He's a pretty high-level technician uh, at a local hospital here in Boston. Um, he's making a really good income. He's saved up his money assiduously and put it into these properties. Um, and he said to me, you know, uh, when I was in um, college, uh, high school, uh, the greatest thing I saw was busboy, right? And I, I didn't know where I would go from there, but I thought if I could become a busboy, that would be something. And he said, we now tell my little daughter the stories about who we are that were fantasy stories. 10 years ago. They were fantasies. We're now telling the reality to our daughter, and she will never know a world that doesn't include good opportunity for her to realize her potential. I mean, this is a young boy from Columbia, now a man in his 30s, uh, who just wanted opportunity in this country. Not a handout, a handout. Uh, let me ask you, as we uh, start to wrap up here, how do people get involved in the work that you're doing? Let's say somebody's listening right now who is there are there ways to volunteer with future chefs or are there ways to contribute and volunteer to year up? I think so many people are, particularly people who are turned off from politics, are looking to get involved in these very specific, very local, very measurable outcomes. Are there ways to do that? Well, I mean, uh, let's start with you. I mean, you know, No Kid Hungry is right here in Boston. Uh, looking for volunteers, and um, and I'm proud to say that um, ex Hammersley's Bistro cooks and others um, are involved in that program. And to me, that's one of the most effective, uh, uh, heartwarming ways of getting involved with um, with kids and nutrition and education. And so I, I would start there. Of I course. know that for, for many years, your <clears throat> sous chef, I think, yeah. was one of the lead instructors of our Cooking Matters Nutrition Education uh, uh, program and right. uh, probably taught more families than almost anybody else in right. Boston. And, 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 I, and I'm embarrassed that I never was able to do that. And I had to make a choice, you know, as to whether or not I was going to spend more time working on my business or working 
with you guys. Um, but I was really happy when you're talking about Michael Ehlenfeld, Michael, um, who who committed to that. Good. Well, great. yes, and and I and certainly in the case of No Kid Hungry and Share Our Strength, those opportunities do exist really here in Boston. All 50 states were active everywhere. Go. How about with Europe? How could people who were inspired get involved? So that I mean, we have several thousand uh, volunteers a year who either mentor a young person for about nine months or they guest speak and share their own experiences of what they might pass on about working in a professional environment. Um, And, uh, of course, we raise lots of money. But what I'd say is, you know, we place thousands and thousands of young people into internships in many companies. So if you're sitting there and you say, hey, I might need an intern, I might need talent, a young person can work for us, reach out uh, anytime you want to year up and would love to talk to you about it. But there's one other thing I'd love you to do, I'd love people to do. Go back to your companies and check out your job descriptions and just see if you say four-year degree required or preferred. Because if you say Huge required, yeah. you've just locked out 87% of Latinos and 82% of African Americans in the United States of America, right? Just that simple word, right? Required versus preferred, you may open up some of the best opportunities and talent that you have seen. So just ask your HR people, why do we say required? And is that what we really want to do is lock out nine-tenths of Latinos and eight-tenths of African Americans in the United States? And conversely, why aren't we at least giving a fair look, a listen, a conversation with some of these young opportunity youth? Absolutely. That's what we need. Well, that's a way to share your strength. And that's what we're all about here. I'm with Gordon Hammersley, a restaurateur for 27 years, uh, now writing for the Boston Globe, mentor and coach to many, many young, talented people in this city. Uh, and Gerald Chertavian, CEO of Europe, who's doing the same thing all over the country. Thanks, both of you, for being here. Thanks, Thanks Billy. For Thanks for your work. Appreciate Thanks. it. Absolutely. I hope you'll go to our website, shareourstrength.org passion, to discover how you can get involved to make a difference in your community. Add passion and stir. Big chefs, big ideas. Is the podcast from Share Our Strength. The Share Our Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty and that in these shared strengths lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making no kid hungry a reality in America. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.